welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. You know, I'm thankful is today we're going to be speaking as we're in the talk of breathing room. We're going to be asking the Lord to create in us a clean heart. We're going to be asking him to, especially what I feel burden, uh, is we have, or I feel God doing something specifically uh, with the men here at Gathering Place Church. And uh, so what I want to do, and I've debated, should this be a, a talk specifically for a men's group, or should it be done in mixed company? And uh, I felt this week that it's to be done together, uh, men and women alike. And the thing when you begin to talk about these topics and these um, you know, things more specific toward men or things more specific toward the ladies is... Um, it should never be, if, if you're a married man here, you shouldn't be getting a nudge from your wife that you should be doing better. But it should come from a place that I want to support, I want to undergird, I want to embrace what your God-given role is in the home, in the sphere, in the place of influence. Ladies, wives, daughters, what your God-given sphere, what your God-given influence is in the place that God's called you in. And aren't you thankful, men, that God has made us masculine? He's not made us effeminate. And what we see is a cultural crisis that has taken place. Specifically, we've seen a satanic cultural crisis um, when it comes into understanding what it means to be a man, what it means to have bravado, what it means to be masculine. And what I want to say to the men, and, and if you're... Uh, a man here, I just want you to stand real quick, and I want to honor you for a second, because men should just should not just be honored on Father's Day. Men should be honored every day. And what I've come to find is in a world that devalues you, in a world that says you're not good enough, you're not appreciated for the work you put in, for the hours you clock in for the job you do in your home, for the job you do outside your home, for the children, for the women that you serve, uh, you are valued here. And I want you to know in this church, we appreciate that, we celebrate that, we honor that. We don't try to sideline you. We don't try to to embrace a, a culture that is weak and woke, but we wanna undergird and raise up godly men. But you will not become a godly man without the word of God. So today, what you're going to get is the word of God to feed your soul, and the way God designed, then you go and feed your children, and you feed your wives, and you feed your family. I want to put up a picture, Uh, Dylan, if you'd put it up. This was uh, of our men's Bible study, and uh, we showed up, and we showed out. We could have had the whole interior of this building on the ground. Ain't that right, Tyrell? You were going after it, man. And we, we got our hands dirty. The demo of our new church sanctuary started, and it was just good for guys to get together, to get to know one another. We have a lot of new men, a lot of new families in this church, and it's times like this where we get to uh, connect and get together. It's in an email. We can show it later in the service if you don't have it. But um, yeah, there we all are, loud and proud right there. And um, so these are exciting times. 
And what I want to do is, is really speak into the lives of men this week and teach on your authority and your dominion that God has given you. And again, this is a subject, this is a place that can be taken out of context, that can be mismanaged and cause hurt and pain. But when done right, when done in God's order, done God's way, it blesses the women and the children and the other relationships in your life. So that's what we're going after today. We ready for that? Okay. Well, you guys can be seated. We'll give them another hand. Jordan, if you can bring me down just a little bit. Dad, if you could hand me my notes. What I want to talk quickly, and I found these articles that really speak to um, the crisis that men are facing in America. And I got several points I want to start with. And I believe this is a part of your burden, Alan, that God has given you to raise up godly young men, men who necessarily don't have fathers, men who are boys who don't have men in the home or godly influence in their life, that this can be an avenue where we can reach into young boys and, and encourage them where maybe they don't have a father in the home to do so. You know, the statistics are startling. Just talking about fathering is statistics will show by Pew Research that one in four, out of every one in four homes, one home doesn't have a father that is present. And this is a crisis in our country. And I want to start with, as we look at these different crises, the first one I want to speak to is that we have in our culture, uh, crisis number one is men are encouraged to be boys and girls, but not men. More than ever, do we see prolonged adolescence, immaturity, and boyhood versus men being raised up, trained up, and equipped to be the men that we see in Scripture and the men that we're called to be. We see uh, men and boys that are kept broken, dependent on the government. They're overmothered and they're underfathered. Overmothered and underfathered. And when I get into these things, if you were a single mother, grew up in a single home, I'm not casting any shade. Every dynamic is different. What I want to speak to is the way God designed it, and that in every place, you can always find a way to get closer, to repent, to find the way that God has designed. Because many of us have blended families. Many of us come from divorced homes. Many of us have absent fathers. Maybe you were raised by a father and you didn't have a mother. So there's a lot of different angles and vantage points. So no one needs to walk out of here feeling like I'm not good enough, I'm not doing good enough, that I made this mistake, now what am I going to do? This is to encourage you, and this is to say this is where the crisis is, but as a church family, and you and your individual families, you have resources, you have hope, and you have ways and places that God can bring into your life in order to, to advance you. And the thing I pray every day and every hour of my life, I say, Holy Spirit, make up in me what is lacking. You have the Spirit of God in your home that supersedes what you feel is, is lack, need, and insecurity. So that's where he has to be first. That's where, why we sing that song. We're coming back to a heart of worship or we're sorry, Lord, for the thing we've made it because it can just be a song where worship is supposed to permeate every area of your life. Fathers, when you father biblically and correctly, you are worshiping your heavenly Father. Mothers, when you are mothering biblically, you are worshiping your heavenly Father. Worship just isn't what happens 30 minutes here on, on Sunday mornings. It's then where you get equipped and go in 
to your homes. And what I'm passionate about is not just equipping people in this church to go and have some platform ministry. I care much more deeply about equipping you to be a father, a mother, to be a brother, to be a sister, for you to win at home before you ever win in any other realm or any other place. I think that this has been a lost art. And this has been a place that has been so misguided and so unbalanced. Because going home and parenting, there's a, there's a lot of hard work that is involved in that. Going home and loving kids or loving people in your life that don't even reciprocate the love you're giving them is a very hard place to be and to stand on the line and to hold your ground. So we see that there is this, um, and, and, and it's by no mistake, understand that our, our culture, this is by design what we see taking place and what we see happening. This is just not a mistake, this effeminacy, this, this homosexual spirit, this place of trying to destroy and, and take what the God-given design, God-given masculinity that he's given men and to try to destroy it and to try to misguide it and sideline it. This is just not by accident, but this is by design in our culture. And here's the thing, if you are of, and this is what grinds my gears when I hear this, when I hear people say, I don't want to impose my faith on my kids, I'm, I'm going to give them the space to figure things out, that's essentially like you saying, I'm going to take my child, drop them off in the middle of America with no resources, no identity, and say, go figure it out. And if you're expecting, because you don't want to impose or take your place as a parent, if you're expecting them to figure it out, it will be the world raising your kids. And the hard truth is, is even if we think we're present in our home, you have to check in and actually see if you are because the world has a way of eking and eeping its way through into every and anything in your life. So we see this is by design. Number two, uh, if you put this article up, you can see that uh, there was a CNBC article that talks about that now more than ever, how long it takes for young men and young women to reach financial independence. In other words, it's taking longer than ever than generations before for men to launch, to get going, to get out of the nest, to get out of the house and begin to build a life for themselves. The, the article would say, young adults in the U.S. are taking longer to reach key life milestones that impact finances compared to four decades ago. In 2021, adults who were 21 were less likely to have a full-time job, be financially independent, living on their own or married, or have children than their predecessors from the 1980s. What this means is we have overmothered young men at home with mom, playing video games, vaping, watching porn, eating garbage, racking up record personal and national debt, and voting for socialists. Am I striking a chord here? So we have men that aren't launching, that aren't taking the risk, or they look at things like marriage, or they look at things like getting a job or starting a business, and there's such fear because how am I going to afford it, or there's not support systems in my life to get to that place. And I'm coming from a place, and, I, and this hit me last week as I was preaching, as I saw my dad I saw Alan, Pastor Webb, Jeff, Gary, you guys were sitting in the front row, that these were men for decades that have poured into my life, and because they did their job, 
I can now pour into your life and have the honor to pour into those men's lives as well as I stand here. And so don't ever underestimate the kid that you pull aside and pour into or that you encourage or teach them a skill or a trade. They could be your pastor one day. They could be your doctor one day. And we, we can't devalue this of how God does and what he does. But it's so important. And, and this church was a place in my home and my family. Um, I'm thankful for the father that I had. Uh, Dad, you taught me and you pushed me to figure things out and to be in church. You worked your butt off every week. A lot of the times not knowing you, you work in, in business, but you made God's house a priority every week. And you were home for dinner every week, even if it meant putting a job to the side. And it was those little things that instilled things in me to be standing here today. And so know the things I teach you, I learned from my father. I learned from men in this house. And we see this, these cultural crises that, that men aren't getting going, men aren't launching, and record numbers more than ever, they're waiting longer to get married, to get in the workforce, and to get going. Number three is this, and I don't think this will surprise you, but men aren't working. Men are not getting jobs anymore. Isn't this crazy? You never thought that this would, would, would come to the place that we're at today. Uh, statistics would show that uh, a record, uh, they actually give it a name, it's called NILF, NILF, not in labor force. And it's a record 7 million men ages 25 to 54 are not working or actively looking for work. And this is unbelievable when you think about it. And I think about this. Men, when you wake up and go to your job tomorrow morning, you're special because you choose to get up and go to work. Who would ever thought just because you choose to get up and go to work tomorrow, you're now a minority in this country. And not only that, if you choose to get married, you're even a weirdo and an outlier as well. Uh, if you choose to father a child, you are also a statistical minority. And if you have more than one child, you're a freak like me, okay? <laughs> Here's the thing. There's all of these things of how our country was built, biblical values we see, that these were normal things, and now they've been, uh, one study will show, and, and this goes into number four, that men are not marrying, is that a generation will see the institution of marriage is outdated and antiquated. It, it just, it, it doesn't work for me. I have my own opinions, I have my own thoughts about it. Uh, the statistics will say about marriage that 40% of millennials and Gen Z ages 18 to 42 don't believe in marriage, 40% that they think it's outdated institution. And 25% of 40-year-old men in America have never been married. You know, when you think about getting a job, when you think about marrying, uh, what motivates me to get out of bed in the morning and get to work and to put my hand to something to earn a paycheck is that I have my wife and my kids that have my last name, and that's what gives me purpose to get out and provide for them, right? And what we're doing is men are marrying later, if ever getting married, and if they choose not to get married, it's not because they can't find anyone. Statistics will even show it's because they choose to sleep with multiple partners, 
with no intention of ever getting married. So here you have men not getting going. They're not launching. They're not marrying. They're not working. And what you do is if you have a young man and you expect them to work, but they don't have children, they don't have a wife to take care of, you really strip them of the purpose of why you work in the first place. That I want to go home. I want to build a home, a place to provide. And that's what gives me purpose as a man. I think men, we would agree to that. That's why we put in the long hours. We deal with the tough boss. We, we handle the, the rough you know, work week, whatever it is. We do it because of the purpose that's associated to it. So men aren't marrying. Next, we have that men are not fathering. So if you get married, you decide not to have kids, maybe And again, there's a lot of different reasons, but what I'm speaking to is the satanic crisis of it. Let's speak to the selfishness that we decide not to have kids because of selfishness. Again, one in four children today in our country have no father in the home. For the first time in our nation's history, children are growing up without a dad in the home. That's 18 million children have no father in the home. The majority of homes are single mothers, not single fathers. And you just need to know that if a kid grows up in America, they are 300% more likely not to have a father than any other nation on the earth. 300 more percent. If you're born in America, the odds are you won't have a, a father in your home. In America's first policy study, um, they said, or that was where we got that from, was America's first policy study. This is interesting too, that um, if you don't have a father in the home, listen to this, the odds of a child having mental and behavioral health issues is up 200%. If you don't have a father in the home, the odds of growing up in poverty go up 400%. If you don't have a father in the home, you're 500% more likely as a child to have a medical or emotional disorder. And what do we do? This is what's, what's wild. Here's the ripple effect. Here's the domino. And what does our culture do with little boys who manifest these issues? We medicate them, and we say, you know what? There's something wrong with you. You're angry. You're acting up. You don't have a father, so instead we'll give you a pill, and then we'll put you in a government school, and then we'll cause you to question your gender. And then maybe we'll mutilate your genitalia, and then we'll make sure you never grow up to be a strong man. And think about this as well. What do we do with the strength of boys when we don't know, don't know where to put it, when we don't know where to direct it? Our culture is in a place that wants to castrate it, and this is what makes it a cultural crisis. This is the, the slippery slope of what we see happening of when fathers aren't present, is we don't direct it, and we don't teach what God's word says is if a child is left on its own, if a father is not doing his job, and here's the thing, it's not that a father or a husband or a man is leading. That's not the question. You're leading whether you realize it or not. The question is, where are you leading? Are you being a passive man? You're leading nowhere. Or are you a tyrant in the home and you're leading your family in the wrong direction? And you'll see this, and men, we'll get into this on Wednesday nights where we'll look at the spirit behind these 
we'll look at Elijah, that we want to be Elijah's. We don't want to be Ahab's who are passives or Jezebel's who are controlling narcissistic men. So these are two separate kinds of men where we want to be Elijah's in our homes who are bold, who are strong, who have an ear for the Lord and who will stand against wickedness and who will stand against evil when it comes to our doorposts. And last but not least, men just aren't leading. Statistically, it'll show men aren't leading. So all, the, all the stats will show that more w- women go to college than men. And now, more than ever, more women are working than men in certain fields uh, of work. So everything is just imploded in this area of, of what a family looks like, what your role is, and how we're to, to lead together in that. Summary of this is we need better men we don't need bigger government. You see, when, when men begin to do their job, you don't need more governance around the men because men are being led by God. You see, the world we live in today, government wants to control things because we have evil or because we have this issue or we have that issue. But if men of God do their job, guess what? You're governed by God. You're governed by the word of God. There's accountability in your life. So you bring solutions and you help fix the bad men, right? You want to be a good man that brings solutions to the evil in this world and be a part of the solution, not create the problem. Number two, we don't need to start bottom up, but top down. Blessing flows down from leadership. Men, we don't blame our wives. We don't blame our children. What we're going to hear in a minute is God gives us dominion to handle it. So let's stop pointing the finger at what we think the issue, and let's take the mirror and look at ourselves and say, God has given us authority. How now and where can we fix it? You have financial problems. Guess what? God gives you dominion in finances. He'll give you a way to fix it for your family. You have a job problem. You sleep in. You can't show up. You can't stay committed. All of these things can be fixed in your walk with God. This is the hope that we have, is we're not left resourceless, but we have everything we have need of, and and God can grace us with these things. You know, I've come to find, too, is that a lot of the times the way we can deflect these things is it's easier to complain about what we see happening in politics or what's happening in the White House when in regards to that, it's you don't want to look at what's happening in your house. You can deflect and say, let's just talk about what's happening there or in somebody else's house or in that. But God, unfortunately, hasn't given us authority to go and change all of that. But what he has is given you authority to change what's in your house, first and foremost. So it's taking it on a micro level and saying, what can I do with what God's put in my hand, what he's given me, and not just complain about all the big stuff and neglect the small stuff of what's ahead of me, in front of me every day when I put my feet to the ground. So what I want to look at quickly is um, dominion and this idea and this godly principle, rather, of dominion. Here's how I want to define it if you put this up, Dylan. Is dominion is this, it's a, it is a person with authority over a realm. Dominion is a person with authority over a realm. It can look like this in the Bible. It can be a, a, as a person, you can see a master, a judge, a kingdom, a lord, warrior, prophet, priest, king, an apostle, head, leader, governor, mother, father, a throne, a scepter, keys underfoot. 
So you see these, these terms that speak to dominion. In the ancient world, when a, a king would someone summon uh, someone into his presence, the king would be the highest place in the room. His legs would be reclined, and it would, be, it would show that everything in this domain is under my dominion. And the same what we have to settle is God has dominion over everything. And I think we can minimize as men and as just people who follow Jesus is that he's just over my little world. When you got to realize God has dominion over everything, over every issue, over every kingdom, over every nation. And it's not a matter of, uh, is God in control? It's, it's more of, am I under his dominion or am I out of it? Who has authority in my life? So it's a person with authority over a realm. Authority can look like rule, sovereignty, power, might, strength, to tread, trample, rule, and reign. A realm can look like a nation, a kingdom, a household, a business, church, city, region, property, physical body, or a spiritual soul. So when we think of dominion, look at, as we get into the scripture, Colossians 1, 16 through 17. This is what Paul says. He says, for by him... Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. Aren't you thankful that this is your God who has dominion over all things, past and present? There is generational dominion. And what we do as parents, as fathers, is when we're under dominion, we are the walking, breathing, living example of what it looks like then for our children to one day, as they grow up in the admonition of the Lord, to walk under godly generational dominion as well. So we see that this is by God's design. And uh, one, everything comes from God. Two, everything depends on God. And three, everything is judged by God. This is how God works, and this is what he does. And what we see is God has dominion. He then delegates dominion. And he delegates it where we see in Genesis 1.26, he delegates it to Adam, our first parents, Adam and Eve. And I want you to see what he says here. It says in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So we see here that God then delegates dominion. And what we've got to understand is God delegates dominion to husbands, to fathers, to men. God also delegates dominion Dominion, it's another message for another time. Ladies, you have a realm of dominion that you walk in as well. But again, today is to focus on the men. And here's what happens is when you don't take up your dominion or take up your authority, you then leave a vacuum for someone or something else to come in. What we see in the Garden of Eden is that Adam was hiding in the distance when the serpent came in to tempt Eve. Adam let go of his dominion. So as Adam lets go of his dominion, Eve is deceived and ultimately Satan wins in that place. And so what happens is, men, fathers, is every time we lay down our dominion, we're handing it right to Satan because Satan will come and fill the vacuum where you have dropped the ball and where I have dropped the ball. So what we see in the world today 
is men, husbands, fathers who have put the keys down and it just doesn't say void and empty, but Satan comes to take it to cause destruction and to bring problems, to bring misery into your life when you put the keys down. So we need to know this, that God cannot lose authority over a dominion, but he can delegate it. That it was delegated to Adam. And before sin is ever in action, it is independently living apart from God and godly dominion. We need to know this as well, is God just doesn't bless men and women. He blesses men and women who are under authority, who are under dominion. And so when we understand, again, the definition of dominion, that is, it is a person with authority over a realm, is the enemy wants to do anything and everything he can for you to put the keys down, to hand it to someone else, to be passive, to abdicate it to, a, to another, to a coach, to abdicate it to another institution, to say somebody else can take care of my kids so I can have a little bit of breathing room. Right? These are the things we say or these are what we do where we're so worn out, so tired, so maybe feeling overworked that we neglect what God has given us dominion to in our home out of not feeling rested or out of, out of feeling we've neglected our mental health or whatever it, the excuse is. The enemy will be sure to give you an excuse to get you to hand over your authority. So we see Adam here. He misses it. He breaks it. Sin enters into the world. But this is where the good news comes in. When Jesus comes onto the scene, he takes these keys back. He takes the authority, and he then reclaims the dominion that was lost by Adam. Aren't you thankful that Jesus is the better Adam, that he's reclaimed what man, what sin has been broken and what is lost? So this is the hope we have because as I'm speaking on this and preaching on this, we can pinpoint places in our lives, especially if you have teenagers, older kids, or maybe you've dropped the ball in this realm of having dominion, where you've let somebody else take the place, where you've, you've, you've missed it, or maybe you didn't even understand what you were up against. So we see this in Matthew uh, uh, 28, 18. Look what it says. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. So Jesus has the authority. And I love in verse 19 because it says then very, the, the very first word is then to go. So you have this authority, now go and do something with it. And this is for all followers of Christ. This is the great commission, is that we're to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we take this authority and we have to do something with it. We don't lay it down and we don't abdicate it or give it to somebody else. We then go and we make disciples and we teach those in our realm of authority how to live for Jesus, how to be alive for Jesus, how to follow Jesus, and how to conf confront the evil that wants to plague your home, plague your family, and plague your mind. Romans 5.17 also says this. It says, For if because of one man's trespass death reigned, through that one man much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, through the life, sinless life he lived, through his resurrection, through the sending of the Holy Spirit, is you can be a spirit-empowered father and man to walk wholeheartedly 
in the dominion that God has given you. Now that should rile you up and that should give you hope because we, again, the crisis of our world says the complete opposite thing. And if you don't, if you live your life on autopilot, you will not be a spirit-empowered father staying in the word of God, studying the word of God, obeying the word of God. You will be led right to uh, the slaughter of giving up your dominion because you're toxic, because you need to shut up and get out of the way, because you don't know what you're doing. Just go work and let somebody else handle your home. Right? All you are is a paycheck. We could keep going down the list. But just like your home, if you, don't, if you put your home on autopilot, the maintenance of your home, it doesn't maintain itself. You've got to be proactive and set schedules and do all these things to keep that which you value maintained. So we're either under the dominion of Satan or we're under the, the dominion of Christ. Paul even says this in Scripture. You've heard it. He says, I'm not my own. I am bought with a price that this is a precious gift that is given to us. Let's not waste it, but use it to the fullest potential that God has given us. When we get under his dominion, then we can exercise ours. If you never get under his, then you will incorrectly handle what God has given to you because you're not under his. This is what, what's the lie, again, of, of an American man is you can be self-made, you can be independent, but as men, we are always dependent on him and out of dependence upon him, we then lead from that place. And so a man who is never under authority should never be in authority. And we have people, we have bosses, leaders, management, who is never in any kind of, under any kind of authority, but then wants to go and wield it and exercise it, and that's what causes pain, damage, and problems. You have pastors all over America who are not under authority, but wanna be in authority, so then they hurt the people that they lead. They don't serve the people that they lead. This is an important place. And this is, again, where things get so mismanaged. This is where a man who says, oh, I'm the head of my house. You're under my thumb. And then they treat their wives and their children like they're in the way or an issue just to be dealt with all the time. Not a joy and a place to serve them and to water them and wash them in the word. Women, I think you would agree with me. You gladly will submit and serve and come behind a man that is completely and totally in love with Jesus. And that leads from a place of his heart is alive for Jesus. But you would not serve and submit a man to a man, to a husband, where you were a problem, you were in the way, you were talked down to, you were verbally abused, and unfortunately, this is too much of a normal thing in Western culture. But we're going to be different, amen? amen. We're going to exercise godly authority, and we're going to be, do something about it. And this is my heart and my goal for men on Thursday nights, is that as we get into these topics and into these issues, and then we tear down a building at the same time, uh, have some fun with it, that the men that help pour into my life. I pray that there's those kind of men that are here 20 years from now that are pouring into my children and giving my children a chance, being a godly example in their lives because that's what changed me and that's what changes so many of us when there's a tribe and a community around us pouring into that. So the twin errors 
and terrors that this can be, as I was speaking of. One, it can turn into a place, if not handled correctly, where it's an abuse of your authority. You're aggressive. You're not a servant, but a tyrant. Or two, you abandoned your authority. You're passive. And the vacuum of where healthy people leave, and it's filled with evil people that then wreak havoc. 1 Peter 4.11 says this. It says that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So I want to leave you with this. Corey, if you would help me close. Two things I want to leave you with. Very practical, and this is for all of us, of how we grow in the place that God has for us, of how we're not passive men, and then on the other camp, you're not a narcissistic man. You're not passive, you're not narcissistic. And the thing I've come to find in these two things are how God pours into us and then how God pours out of us. So how we feed ourselves, and then how we then go and feed others. And uh, what this looks like, 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, I love this. It says, but reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. You see, as men, as leaders, we should always be exercising ourselves toward godliness, not getting caught up. And I think this is, this is the temptation, is old wives' fables and fantasies. The grass is greener over in that marriage or flirting with an affair over here or you're more concerned about um, getting to the lake or getting the big this or the big that, but not in neglecting what's important, which is exercising ourselves toward godliness. We've got to be proactive to fight off the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He goes on to say, again, Paul, a spiritual mentor to a younger Timothy here, for bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that is now and of which is to come. You know, I love because... I love this analogy of, of how older and younger men can work together. And I love this about our Bible study is that it's all men, all ages, all different walks of life. That older men can be like rudders to the ship that help direct. And that young men can be passionate like the sails moving forward in the will of God. There's passion when, with youth, right? But with passion if not yielded correctly, can cause harm and pain. But when it's yielded correctly and directed by older fathers in the faith, it can be this combustion of God doing something powerful and amazing. And that's what we're experiencing here. We see that word um, exercise. It can also be translated into discipline and hear this because this is the work we have to do to grow in godliness. That we've got to be taught, we've got to be trained, we've got to exercise and we've got to work ourselves toward this purpose, which is becoming more like Jesus, becoming more like our God, which is Jesus, which who is Jesus. And you know, the thing I come to find where it gives that analogy between not just exercising your physical body, but exercising character, is that which you put in your character in the presence of God, guess what, stays with you forever. That you take and you present that to Jesus one day. 
the things that you, these spiritual disciplines, these sacred rhythms we're talking about that God has designed, when you exercise them, they stay with you. Bodily exercise, when you leave your body, that stays here. But the character you develop in you, you take with you. It stays with you all the days of your life. So two things, how we exercise this is one, we've got to study. That's how we pour in. And then two, we've got to obey. That's how we pour out. Everybody say study. And then we've got to obey. Study looks like this. They don't have it in the back, but it says in Proverbs 9, 9, instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will add to his learning. You never arrive to full maturity. You never know it all. And so what it says here is that if you can take instruction that you can add to what you know and you never stop growing and never stop learning. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth because your word is truth. In addition, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. If we don't rightfully handle the word of truth, rightfully handle our authority, the dominion God has given us, then you will cause harm, you will not cause blessing. And again, God just does not bless men and women because you ask for a blessing. He, he blesses men and women who have placed themselves under the authority of God. And this is where a lot of us, we miss it. We think that we can just do it all ourselves and it's all in just what I say and what I confess when he's saying, you're not even putting yourself in a place that I can bless. And think of this, as a good father, if my children come to me and want help in doing something that is productive and good for them, I'm gonna get behind it and put my hands on that and bless it. Now, if my children come to me and want, uh, want my help or my approval or me to put hands on something that will cause them harm or pain, I can't co-sign with that, right? The same is with God. As a loving heavenly father, when you come to him asking for help, is he going to turn you away? No, he's going to put his hands on you and say, we're going to do this together, and I'm going to bless what you're going to put your hand to and give you the grace that you need. I love it. It says, do your best to present yourself to God. Put yourself in that place. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, you know it. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training, in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You can't become a man of God without the word of God. The way you become more like Jesus is through the word of Jesus, through the presence of Jesus, through worshiping Jesus. So we can't divorce the two, but they always work together. How do we get in the word? Very practically. One, you've got to hear the word. Two, you've got to read the word. Three, you've got to memorize the word. And four, you've got to study the word. Hear, read, memorize, study. Can't make it any more simple than that. And what I love to do, I love to put on a good teaching. I love to put on uh, and just listen to the word. Uh, you'll catch me with an AirPod and a, and a couple babies in my hands listening to something, right? 
I might not be able to sit down and read if you're busy or in a season of life where you can't sit down and read a book, but guess what? You can listen to something and get the word washing and watering in, in, your, in your mind throughout the day. So we want to hear, read, memorize, and study. I like this as well. Even if you choose to do a topical study, you take a character or someone in the Bible. I loved Nehemiah when we were doing our building project and having to come up in my own personal leadership and make tough decisions and be on a deadline. Study someone like Nehemiah who had business and responsibility to tend to. Maybe you're a young man in here and you want to figure out how to get your head on straight. Have a good family. Get married. Study Boaz in the Bible and you'll learn quickly about that. Maybe you have a big mouth. You need to learn to be quiet. Study Peter, and you'll learn a few things there. (laughs) And the thing I love about the scripture as well is you can read any other book, but the minute you pick up the Bible is you not only read it, but it reads you. Aren't you thankful that you have a heavenly word that reads you read your situation, read your circumstance and can pour life into it, pour hope into it. Say, this is where you've dropped it, but together through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're gonna pick that dominion back up and we're gonna make a change. Joshua 1, eight through nine says this. It says, how many, it says, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to what? To obey, to observe everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. And see, this is important, is you have to know the word before it can prosper your life. You've got to obey it before it brings any kind of blessing in your life. Many of us, the issue, and this might be hard to hear, the issue is not that we don't know what to do, it's that we choose not to do it. If we were to to do a case study or look at every issue that you're dealing with in your life, I would say you know what you need to do. It's just you're not doing what needs to be done. And so we've got to be obedient. And this is, again, the part of where we then pour out. So we study by pouring in. And then when we're obedient, we pour out. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says that knowledge puffs puffs up but love builds up. When you're obedient, you're loving. You're not argumentative. You're not just trying to win a theological argument. Speaking of older men, I would say some of the best theologians that I will listen to is if their wife still has a smile on their face and their kids respect them. Then that's a life that has been well lived. That's a life of consistent service to their children and to their wives. James 1.22, you know this, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Do what it says. You've got to obey it. The blessing is not in the knowing. The blessing is in the doing of the word. You've got to do it. You've got to apply it. If you'd stand with me, I want to pray for you. And I want you to hear this. There was a organization called Back to the Bible. This is what they, this was their findings. It's pretty amazing. It says they went out and they surveyed 400,000 people. And in their survey, 
they uh, wanted to figure out what difference does God word, God's word make in someone's life. And they came up with something that was a bit unexpected called the power of four. And here's what they found. If you were in God's word one day a week, there was minimal impact. Two days a week, minimal impact. Three days a week, minimal impact. But four days a week, there was massive impact found. When God's word was the majority of the week, their whole week changed. So here's what they found. People that were in the word four days a week, that they were 407% more likely to memorize scripture, 228% more likely to share their faith with others, 59% less likely to view pornography, 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. And in addition, that they marked lower sexual sin, gambling, drunkenness, addiction, and other behaviors all for spending four days a week in the scripture. So my challenge to you, last week it was drive the speed limit. <laughs> See if you did that. <laughs> I know that. I mean, I, I was setting myself up. But this week is, if you want to be a man of God, you've got to get in the word of God. And so you've got to take the leap. And it's not hard if you need a guide I'm happy to give you one, get you a, a good Bible with a good commentary, and you can begin to build this muscle of getting in the Word of God. If you already are in the Word of God, you've got to stay in the Word of God because the enemy uh, of focus is distraction. So you'll get distracted, and it'll keep you distracted. And so you've got to guard that time. But what I, I believe we're going to begin to see is God is going to raise up men in this church that are unapologetic about serving their wives, their children, that are unapologetic about meeting needs in other families where there's lack or there's a season of where a father is not present, whatever the situation, if we can undergird and come around like this church has always done, but be intentional about it, God can begin to do amazing things. You know, this is why the early church, they called their pastors, they saw them more as a father not just a preacher in the distance at a pulpit, but they were a father. And they were known as a father because he was, the pastor was, uh, the father was an image and a representation of Christ because Christ ultimately is a good father who loves you and who wants to bring healing to the broken places of your life. If you bow your head with me, and as we prepare to take communion this morning, if you would just ask the Lord, Men of God today, where have you put your dominion down? Where have you put the authority down? Maybe your personality or your proclivity is to be more passive and you need to sharpen and pick the keys back up in love, not become a bull in a china shop, get angry or get frustrated, but say, where do I need to begin to serve again? Where do I need to begin to love because love builds up. It doesn't tear down. Maybe you're in the other camp. You're aggressive. And out of that aggression and frustration, you just get angry at everything or you lash out with your mouth. And you need to learn how to tame your tongue because James says it's like the rudder of a ship. It leads your life and it leads your family. Wherever you find yourself, wherever the place you need the presence of God to touch, you would surrender that to him right now. 
I believe change can begin, that hope can begin to rise and be built up in your life. Jesus, we thank you for the men here. We thank you for the families here. God, that this be a place for men of God to be equipped, to be taught, to be corrected, to be trusted. And God, that we do this thing together, that we sharpen one another. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens another man. God, we want to be sharpening each other, not tearing each other down because the world needs men. And I honestly believe if the men get it right, even all the statistics show, if a man goes to church, his wife and his children are far more likely to follow suit. If, if the men can fix themselves in the presence of God with the gospel of Jesus, then the ripple effect is dynamite in every part of their lives. So Father, we ask in humility that you take the insecurities, you take the pain, maybe you take the absence of, of the excuse of I didn't have a father in my life who built me up, I had to figure it out myself or I have pain and hurt and trauma in that place. Father, I pray that you begin to penetrate that wound and you begin to heal it by bringing another man who loves Jesus, be a, a spiritual father or a mentor or a place that can speak into that part of their life. God, you leave nothing up to chance. It's all in your word, but we've got to do the work to study it and to obey it. We've got to hear it and we've got to do it. No excuses. We've got to step up because if we don't step up, no one else will. So Jesus, we thank you for what you're doing. I bless the single mothers here who have had to carry both places who've had to trust you, who maybe had a passive man that left them, their lives and left children to their responsibility. Father, we thank you for strengthening them. God, whatever the, the issue is or the pain that's there, we thank you that your grace and your presence is sufficient and it is enough. Holy Spirit, make up where there's deficiencies in our life because life is but a vapor. Things can change. And God, we want to flow with you even in the toughest seasons of our life. We thank you, Jesus. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.